Hello, I'm Tracy Picard. Welcome to Stories from the Hub, a podcast by the Social Enterprise Greenhouse in Providence, Rhode Island. We would like to introduce you to Dr. Jeff Capraro, founder of Nalox Box and a 2017 Health and Wellness Accelerator participant. My name is Jeff Capraro. I'm a pediatric medicine medicine doctor at UVU Math and Brown University at Hasbro Children's Okay. Are you saying that you work as a doctor at Hasbro Children's Hospital, or does Brown have an actual uh, facility for... Yeah, so it's uh, complicated because um, we're all of our different affiliations, but I'm a, uh, I'm a full-time physician at Hasbro Children's, but it happens to be that the whole emergency medicine group is um, contracted to provide all the services for emergency medicine in Rhode Island Hospital. Oh, and I see. And then our academic affiliate is... Brown University, so we're responsible for training of Brown students and um, and didactics and other engagement with Brown students. Okay. It's a complicated mix of associations, but okay. that's why I have to say all those things. I see. <laughs> so, did you do you do teaching? Uh, yeah, we do bedside teaching all the time, and then we also uh, provide lectures to the students. People in my department provide simulation training where we uh, try to practice for emergencies so that when the emergency comes, we've uh, done that before. We've got the mm. mental motor uh, skills um, ready to go. We also engage students in our research projects. So this summer, we've had two students working with us who are in the PLME program, which is like the undergraduate portion of med school for an eight-year engagement for students. And uh, they were working on a research project with us, uh, separate from the Nalox box um, over the summer. So there are different ways that we... Uh, interface with the students. Mm-hmm. I and some colleagues also work in the Brown Hack Health, which is having its second um, Hack Health um, program this month in September. Well, that sounds like kind of intense. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, a, we enjoy teaching and enjoy working with students. Okay. So your venture, tell me the name and tell me the mission. Great. So our Netlocks Box mission is to push life-saving tools to bystander rescues of opiate overdose victims. And I think every single day in the newspaper, there seems to be an article about the opioid epidemic. Unfortunately, it's just crushingly progressing. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we've seen is that the introduction of fentanyl into the drug supply, it's a potent opiate which uh, stops people's breathing and kills them. And uh, people might think they're taking one drug, but it's actually been cut with fentanyl. And And is it cheaper? Is that It's cheaper, yeah, and it's potent and... You know, so we might be making some gains in prescribing practices and monitoring people's prescriptions and getting people into treatment. Um, but unfortunately, there's still people, too many people still using the substances and too much of the substance is contaminated. So what we want to do is if somebody came upon someone who was breathing poorly or not breathing at all, but they had a pulse, they might be and think they might be suffering an opiate overdose, but we want to have naloxone readily available to them because otherwise they would have to either have it on their person or um, they would have to wait for an ambulance to arrive if they were going to call an ambulance. And that could be some critical moment for brain injury um, the low oxygen state of an opiate overdose um, as part of um, part of the why a person dies from it. So you would want the average non-medical professional to be able to administer this? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, it's a change up in, in our approach. The current uh, methods of distributing naloxone include really pharmacist or physician to individuals. So it's very much one-to-one type transaction. Mm. There are some naloxone distribution programs even in our city, 
where you, at a needle exchange, a person could once again get their own naloxone. But if the person overdosed and they're passed out and it's in their back pocket of their pants, they can't really help themselves. Right. And um, in those time, the, maybe the six or eight minutes till an ambulance arrives, even you know with a good response time, are critical. And especially with fentanyl, you might need to give multiple doses. So the time to the administration of the first dose matters. And so we've designed the box to accommodate multiple doses. The places where we first distribute are actually kind of semi-public. So um, there are agencies that are already serving high-risk populations, transition from homelessness, transition from prison, soup kitchens. And so the, the formulation that we have is an intramuscular shot in those little kitchens. That's also what we have good access to. So the Pony program generously provided intramuscular naloxone for our first units. Is that um, the way that it's usually distributed? Uh, yes, in their program, that's how they do it. The intranasal formulation, it's a nose spray, like a Flonase mm. type of spray, it would be much simpler for a public situation. And so in our second grant through the Department of Health, uh, we'll be distributing intranasal formulations in more public places. So in libraries or transportation hubs or um, entertainment venues, we hope to uh, make naloxone available for that easy to administer because it is a lot to ask a bystander with no medical training to uh, administer medicine. Mm -hmm. And this is designed for layperson use. So it's only logical that we try to use uh, easier, easier formulation, a quick spray in the nose. Okay. It feels like you're kind of breaking down a barrier, a couple barriers, one of which is not to associate with other people in distress. And, you know, I've been in a place like Kennedy Plaza and seen people in distress there seems to be two very different attitudes. One is to help people at all, no, no matter what, always to help interfere, for better or worse. The other is to leave people alone, no matter what. How does this deal with the, the, those attitudes and helping people to feel empowered to use this medication? That's a great question. I think that there, we're hoping that there's messaging along the way um, in what we're trying to achieve. I think on average, we have faith that um, people want to help each other. And right. uh, the message is we want to give the tools to help somebody. So it seems like it would be tragic if a person actually knew it was an opiate overdose, wanted to give naloxone and had none on their person. And so, and especially in the high risk settings, um, you know, the staff will be highly motivated to help their clients and guests. And in the public places, um, I'm not sure you can fix the split of who would help and who would not. I think on average, more people would than wouldn't. Right. Um, I know, I, I've learned that in some countries, there's actually a Good Samaritan law in the active form where people are actually expected and required to help a fellow right. citizen. We don't have that in America, well, um, we but have we have a lot this, of well-meaning well, well people. Yeah, well-meaning, but there's kind of this liability, like, yeah. I wouldn't want to do it wrong, or... Well, I think that's why the know. Good Samaritan law exists in our state okay. and in a lot of other states, which is to say that um, you're not going to be held responsible for what happens. I think there are natural barriers to, you know, um, people wanting to help in that situation. They don't know what the actual problem is. Right. Um, and uh, it's perfectly um, rational to say... This might be an emergency that isn't an overdose and somebody misjudged. Right. And we think the downside of people misjudging that it was an overdose would be that they just didn't give the treatment for the alternative thing. So, mm. so you know, this, the basic life support, which a lot of people have training in basic life support, mm -hmm. requests that you get an AED if you can't find a pulse. Um, and, and so what is this, that? Uh, AED? Uh, automated external defibrillator. You okay, know, yes. To shock people yes. in the, who have a heart attack. So, okay. 
You know, there are other possibilities. A person have a seizure and they're just very drowsy afterwards. Right. But it wouldn't harm a person by giving naloxone if you had the quote-unquote diagnosis. Ah, uh, okay. But um, you would be on the wrong track. Okay. <laughs> and that's why medical personnel were called. It's called, you still start okay. to call 911. Um, See, that was kind of my question is, yeah. it wouldn't uh, necessarily cause any problem to a person who is experiencing a different health issue. Yeah, I think it just gets you on the wrong path. You okay. Know, and um, and that could happen to any of us, even with a lot of medical training. Right. <laughs> we of can, course. You know, sometimes be pursuing the wrong uh, wrong diagnosis. Right. Is there a very clear way that you can either just tell us right now, or will this be included in the box? Signs that someone is having an overdose, as opposed to a different problem. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great question. Also, we all of the sites where we've, we've installed the boxes have requested on-site training. And they were already serving high-risk populations. So we identified a need there that even though people had um, some familiarity and knowledge and awareness and maybe even some preparedness for overdoses, they still requested training. So it isn't a straightforward thing. It's most simply um, a breathing emergency. So if a person's breathing very poorly, like a snoring sound, or snorting sound, or not breathing at all, or they've gone extremely pale, or particularly blue, the blue around the lips or the fingers, mm. you know they're starved for oxygen. And if there's some circumstantial information in the room, like the friends say, I think she overdosed, right, um, right. Or, 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 you know, needles are found nearby, or the person's known to have had uh, been in recovery, but now they've uh, had a relapse, then uh, you might have a lot, all the information you need to uh, give naloxone. The presence of a pulse would suggest that it's not a major cardiac event. And so mm -hmm. if you have all this information to say overdose and they have a pulse, that means that their heart's still pumping blood with a reasonable blood pressure. And so yeah. you could feel a little more sure and we don't really expect a layperson to know all that, but if you have basic life support training, those are things that are going through your mind as you're starting to decide what to do. Okay. Um, I think that the uh, interface of the box with the bystander rescuer, we have uh, instruction sheets that we've installed. Um, uh, okay. There's also uh, manufacturer's information on drug administration. And we're going to update it with more simple graphics. Because in an emergency situation, we really think there should be a graphic solution. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, we have a smart function that we're installing with the boxes, which is really a communications piece at present. But there has been discussion on whether we'd have a recorded message, like a greeting card that says, you know, or a defibrillator, which talks to you and oh. goes through the steps, or also has online video support. So That's interesting. Yeah, so there are different iterations that we're considering in next versions of the Nox box. Right now, direct, okay. it's, um, it would be paper instructions. Okay. And they're, mounted, they're currently mounted next to our installed units. The user interface definitely matters. Um, for the places where we didn't do on-site training that are looking more public, um, we're, we're going to be launching a different version of the instructions, which are much simpler for somebody to follow the steps. Okay. The actual details of the box. It is a real box that is installed mm -hmm. in a location and that anyone can open as if you were, you know, pulling a fire alarm. That type of physical... Box? That's that's exactly right. Yeah, the the box is um pretty simple. My designer partner Claudia Rabola, she's a PhD in industrial design. Um, she mm -hmm. we were working with one of her colleagues before she went on sabbatical, and she handed over the reins to Claudia. And she really wanted to be approachable, but still message emergency. So that's why it has a red cross on its front, and it has a velcro latch. It's <laughs> low resistance. So um, the, this is a philosophical detail where we didn't want uh, people to approach a locked unit. It, mm -hmm. It's a time-sensitive emergency. We want them to open it with ease. 
And right. so that's why the Velcro. So uh, the box, uh, yeah, is mounted. It could be mounted actually right next to an AED or mm -hmm. a fire extinguisher because it's used very much in the same vein. We're going to provide something on site for which you could be a hero, basically. Um, and this is a public utility. It's a public tool. Right. And we want to support you in being a good neighbor, a good friend, a good colleague to help, uh, help the person in distress. So it's very much like that. It's giving a tool to temporarily stabilize, rescue that life, and now the uh, medical professionals can take care of the next phase right. of care. This is a very slender set of minutes. You know, it's normally five to ten minutes until um, help is there. And is that about the amount of time that people have to survive? Yeah, so that's 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 about the time frame where the brain can start suffering injury okay. um, from lack of oxygen. And we don't know how long the person's been down before the person comes home. So yeah. you might already be up to you know six or eight minutes, or who knows, maybe right. too late. So those minutes where the emergency is discovered are become really critical because there was already some downtime. Right. To answer the question, the, because it's a breathing emergency, the drug doesn't work immediately, so the mask would allow a provider to have a physical barrier between them and the person they're giving rescue breaths to because some people are grossed out by you know giving rescue mouth to mouth. So yeah. this is a mask that goes over the nose okay. and mouth and has a little filter on it, so uh. breaths can be given kind of cleanly. Okay. Um, and then... The naloxone, if you're not getting a good response from the first administration and the person's still having breathing difficulties um, or color changes, then you would give a second dose. Um, we've equipped the boxes with either two or four doses. All the ones we've installed have four doses. Okay. Um, but for the ones where we're using the internasal, we might do just two doses because of the higher cost of those um, doses. Intermuscus are uh, cheaper to supply. But the initial thinking about four doses was that until we can restock a unit, you know, each emergency might consume one or two doses. So at least we'd have two there until it's restocked. Printer nasal, we're still trying to work out what our supply chain is um, because mm -hmm. the grant only supported the prototyping and building of the boxes and the electronics, and it didn't support naloxone itself. It specifically said it wouldn't, um, was not designed to buy drugs or other mechanisms by which we okay. distribute those to the public. And so, yeah. So is this a nonprofit organization or do you have a revenue source right so we have no revenue <laughs> um, sad to say we're not a formal organization um, when we apply for these department of health grants mm -hmm. and so it was really a public health effort we weren't from it as a business or a nonprofit. Uh, the department of health grants supported these the construction of units that are dedicated to Rhode Island purposes okay and we think we'll probably have use for all 80 plus units we think we've got partners lined up where we will actually get them all distributed the 31 installed already we have demand in state already for i haven't got a final number from our partners we're doing another uh, deployment but maybe another 15 or 20 already spoken for in Rhode island yeah and then um, we have this next outreach with more public agencies and business agencies and hoping we break through to colleges and universities because the epidemic swings towards young people People don't know what they think about. might be taking drug A, but they actually got fentanyl mixed in. Right. And we know um, drug use habits of college students that, you know, they'll be experimenting or using. And we just think that uh, we don't want to crash into campuses. We, we'd like campuses to have some preparedness. In addition to the campus uh, police being armed with Narcan, which is great. I think a student is, you know, students are by nature doing something illegal if they're using an opiate. And so there might be some hesitance to call campus police specifically. Yeah. Um, so... We'd like to give them, you know, some uh, ability to respond. What if it were in a residence hall, you know, a dormitory, in the main lobby, or dining hall, or campus center, or sports 
arena. You know, so just think about that preparedness. So uh, Bridgewater State just recently launched a lot of knocks on campus, which I was uh, glad to hear. And I need to find out more details of what they did because mm-hmm. that's, um, it seems like providing up, it would be great if it gathers dust. It would be tremendous if it was used and saved so much. Right. So he's the type of thing where you'd say, it's even better if we don't have to use yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Because that means we're making strides systemically and culturally, yeah. which is the real ultimate goal, right, is to change this. We're in the hoping, meantime, yeah. yeah. One can only hope. But in the meantime, you know, it's silly to not take action because bigger help is needed, right? Mm-hmm. So what kind of reactions have you been getting from the public and from, you know, say parents or these organizations that you're talking to? Yeah, I mean, I think we were real encouraged by the response we got. Mm-hmm. Uh, our first outreach, my first partner was at Amos House, Eileen Hayes, was really um, strongly advocating. Uh, she was, like I said, bring it on. Mm-hmm. And they'd suffered too many deaths uh, of clients and also too many oh, tremendous yes. recoveries. They've got people, she personally, she shared a story where she personally saved a woman who was blue in her mm. facility, who's now uh, in recovery and been a full-time employee for years there. So, and should, we, know, should we share that Amos House is an organization that um, supports homeless people? Is it just in Providence? Or? Yeah, they um, have a wonderful set of services where they actually um, are providing jobs training on site. So they have a company where uh, where they have a catering company and they also right. do some work in construction. And they have they're just tremendous support, a wonderful soup kitchen. They've been an early adopter, early supporter of what we're doing. And have it's, you installed a box in their location? Yeah, we have several. And because they have several buildings, we installed right. several. Okay, uh, so there are three on the main building and then a couple of the other. Uh, they have a transition from parent-child reunification, and so we've installed there. Okay. Um, so yeah, so, so the reaction, to answer your question about the reaction, for people engaged on the front lines of the epidemic, I think it's been overwhelmingly good. And maybe they were already made partners, obviously, um, but I think they had a, had a shared desire to do better, um, mm-hmm. you know, to do do better by people who were struggling with drug addiction. And so they were already made partners and enthusiastic. Eileen also invited some press coverage, which is through Brown and RISD. We had some press people and had a, we had a good amount of press around the first installations, which is uh, very nice because it also served to connect us with other partners in state and out of state. A great connection was Daryl Kosiak from Rhode Island Coalition for the Homeless. So okay. he distributed an appeal from me um, asking which places would like to install. So that's where most of our partners came from. I, I don't know if I've really gauged the response like in a lot of venues. I'm not very active in social media. Um, Probably better. So, yeah. <laughs> there's always so, going to be, you know, haters. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we've been critical enough of what we're doing that we're trying to think about, be open to all perspectives. But I think the, the response we've got certainly from the press coverage, uh, many people have wanted to pick it up. We've spoken to people at the Boston Globe and the Associated Press, and we've had um, some enthusiastic response because it, there's, it's an all hands on deck approach. This is one tiny sliver of the response to the epidemic, mm-hmm. but it's the number one killer of people under 50 years old now in our country. And we're responding to just this public the public overdose, which is a small piece of the pie in our state, so and it will probably impact a small portion of this public. And so we're just like a little tiny sliver of the effort. I think it, there are things that you've alluded to, which are more messaging, which is like this organization cares about people struggling with addiction. This mm-hmm. organization cares about our death rate in our state. This right. organization wants to say um, it's not okay to let 
people die, um, and we're rolling up our sleeves to do something. I'm being maybe a little pie in the sky, but I think no, there are ways... No, that's very to... good, though, in... You just really stated your mission very well when you say that. I think that's... That's very key. Well, yeah, we hope so. I mean, um, and so, you know, the response, I think, yes, a lot of people can respond in a lot of different ways, but we're, ha we're happy to be engaged in the work with the people who are saying, bring it on. It seems like each... Each corner of return, we find an enthusiastic supporter, which is really great. Um, because that is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're very fortunate in that way, and we're hoping to, you know, segue a little bit with the accelerated program. Is you know, mm -hmm. we're trying to decide what it takes to produce units outside of the Department of Health funding, um, because right. if there's additional in-state demand or out-of-state demand, which we've already met, I've had outreach from people out of country and out of state who have said. How can we buy one? And I, I said, if you could just hold on a little bit, we'll have an answer for that. I want my answer to be, I will ship as many as you need tomorrow. Right. And so the accelerator has already connected us with coaches. It's connected us with our professor at Roger Williams, who's going to help us with, with and the students with the business plan development. It's connected us with um, some people in advice and IT. SCG and the accelerator both been extremely helpful even as I'm just starting my accelerator activities so yeah so you guys are um, doing awesome work on helping people try to execute their mission and I think the pivot for us is do we think we'll have enough um, operational uh, operations up capacity yeah. and um, and knowledge and skills and made and we're really desperate for startup funds to build mm -hmm. those first units um, and to support the smart function development we need to all those components together quickly because the epidemic's not stopping. Right. Um, our partners are reaching out. If we have a ready-made solution for people to adopt in other cities and states and provinces, you know, why should they have to replicate, start fresh and right. design a new box and figure out what it takes? We can work with them to get them at that capacity. It turns out that the box, in my mind, I mean, just think about where I've been spending time on this. The box is sort of, it's just... It's not about the physical box as much, really. I think you know, there's a lot of it deals a lot with sort of a, um, partnering with people, and so it seems like a, we've done a lot of relationship building. And mm. I think that that's also something that, if we were to try to talk to public health partners in other states or similarly motivated decisions or design people, they need to get their ear to the pavement in, in their city and, and town and say, well, who's already doing a lot of distribution? Mm -hmm. How aggressive is the stance of the public health department to support the effort? So if you think about sort of replicating what we do, it's a lot of emails and phone calls and in-person meetings. You know, it's what it's, it's been the currency of it, right? So it's not just, I'll ship you a box. Um, right. <laughs> you know, it, it, it could be that, but I think that um, the thing that makes it potentially powerful and useful is um, the trainings that come with it, the preparedness of staff. The communications to the public. Right. It's more than the box, and I'm just trying to get my brain about how to package that for other people. Mm -hmm. We can build and package the box. I think I'm confident that we will obtain some funding to do this next phase of work. There's a lot of support that goes along with it, and I think that what we've done so far has been fairly effective. Um, so we'd like to also make that part of what other people adopt. It's like, here's a way that you can engage partners right. um, in places in your community, which maybe Rhode Island's not too different from other states where there was a need for training in these type of places. Right. And there was a need for internasal because it was more public. And so they don't have to replicate those early stages um, of sorting out the details. Right. That all makes sense. I'd love if you could tell us how can people find out more Great. 
um, how can people get involved in any way if you are, as you're developing Twitter, website, Facebook, what else do you have that people can follow and learn more about this? Great. Um, we really appreciate you broadcasting our appeal for help. Um, <laughs> we are in need of a lot of help. Um, That's okay. That's perfectly normal. <laughs> <laughs> we have an email address, which is maybe the most efficient way to communicate with okay. me, Claudia. It's project at gmail.com. Okay. We just recently developed a Twitter account at Naloxbox. We have a website that people can visit, naloxbox.org. Okay. So um, those are probably the best ways to communicate with us. Um, Is there any kind of map that shows where they've already been installed? Oh, yes. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So the Department of Health has been a really terrific partner okay. in Great. supporting our efforts in, in state. They've also kindly... Um, posted our Naloxbox uh, locations on their map. So they have a Get Naloxone map, um, which is where people can find which pharmacies distribute Naloxone in their community. Okay. So it's a search box where you can type in your address to, I want Naloxone for myself. I'll go to Walgreens on this corner. You know? Oh, that's really yeah, helpful. It's really cool. It's also graphically done. And okay. they, they will list the nearest ones to your location if you type in your address. But in the lower right corner of that Get Naloxone uh, webpage, they have a link to a separate map for Naloxbox only. And so, oh, so yeah, it's really terrific. And so you could hover, similarly, you could type in your, your box. Most of the boxes are semi-public right now, so it's not like you could walk up to a corner and find one. Um, but in our next installations, we're hoping the public could use this. And, and potentially, um, when a responder calls 911 in time, we'd love to pilot work with EMS, where an emergency medicine service 911 dispatcher would have their computer open to our page. And they'd say, well, it sounds like you're responding to an overdose. You really should look over your shoulder at the lobby for the Dunkin' Donuts where they have naloxone. Okay. And you could send someone to get that to administer before the ambulance gets there. So, oh, yeah. So they could kind of talk them through it. Yeah. So okay. I'd love eventually for EMS dispatch in our state and beyond to be able to direct people to naloxone before the ambulance arrives. That's why we're so happy to build that functionality early on in the website. Um, so we, you know, we're definitely looking for help uh, in the form. We really have a major financial hurdle. So if somebody, you know, we're willing to contribute to the cause to start building units for outside of the grant and out of state, that's a huge need we have. But we're also, I'd be highly interested in partners who will help us with the distribution and trainings. Uh, for instance, in universities, if, you know, students were to take leads uh, for advocating for this on campus mm -hmm. and doing installations and social media campaigns on campus to say, hey, watch this 90-second video we did on uh, opiate overdose. Uh, I think those are really nice ways where people bring their skills and talents, like where I don't have a lot of social media <laughs> talent. Right. You know, they bring their talents, they bring their skills and their passion. And um, so we would love to work for partnerships who have that complementary skill set um, yeah. to spread the message, to help find new partners. We're a small state, but, you know, if we find homes for our first 80 units, and then we have campus demand, which looks like, you know, from 10 to 50 per campus, I'd estimate. And then if you multiply that by home and states of, that might be interested, there, we, we think there could be a good demand for the Norox box. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking to me about this. You know, I, I just love hearing about all of our entrepreneurs, but especially love the health and wellness. Great. Because it's so much interesting work happening right now in Rhode Island, but everywhere. Yeah. So it's, it's really heartening to see, you know, people care enough to actually go forward with their ideas. 
Yeah, thanks. <laughs>